the collision of common sense and comedy. This is Defenders Live. You know, I remember there was a point where we used to live in this world where there was a thing called conspiracy theories. There was all kinds of conspiracy theories. There was the biggest one that, that I, I want to bring up was the whole idea of uh, of uh, these secret societies, you know, and even people in the government who were secretly running the country behind our backs. Um, people like the Illuminati. That was always one that forever and a day, even today, is still being touted about as you know, existing and controlling and everything else. And it's, I'm not going into details of that today, but it, it, it just feels like there were these, these topics, these people, these dark cloaked figures who were trying to sway mankind to its will. Um, I used to think it was a lot of hokey. I used to think it was just, you know, somebody trying to find attention, trying to find... I'm beginning to believe that there might be a bit of... Well, I'm not beginning to think. I'm fairly confident that there's a lot of that going on. Um, and a lot of this started actually with COVID. With the whole masks wearing and everything else, you know, if you don't wear a mask, if you don't stay six feet from each other, if you don't walk up one direction in an aisle in a grocery store, you can't pass each other. You have to walk one way because all of those things are going to keep you from catching COVID. And then we find out, obviously, that a lot of that majority of that, almost all of it was a load of crud. But it worked. Society bought into, as a whole, bought into it hook, line, and sinker. We were shut down for months and months. Minimal access to to normal life. Minimal access to each other. You know, I had said before on a, on a previous show that, that, that I believe that this was just a dry run, that this was a test for something bigger coming down the line. And they're not going to play their full hand. Whoever these people are, whatever these people are, they're not going to play their hand now that COVID is done and they've had their little test. They're going to keep easing it. They always have. A recently released academic paper suggest that governments should implement wartime-style rationing policies on goods, including food, fuel, and flights, to reduce the impacts of climate change. We already saw, again, what it was deemed for COVID. COVID, 
for better or for worse, yes, people had died from it. I'm not going to deny that. It's tragic that anybody dies from anything. And people did die from COVID. But it is argued and very possibly backed up through this actual statistics, not the crap that is fed in the news, but actual statistics, that a majority of the people who died from anything COVID-related actually had to do with the treatment of it. My experience, and again, I don't have facts, so I'm just talking as one individual to another, is that most of the people who had COVID, once they were admitted into the hospital and put on a respirator, the chances were not very good that they were going to survive. Now, some did, praise God, but not all. And they had their test run when it came to COVID. COVID, as far as I'm concerned, looking at the facts, looking at the data, looking at the mortality rate, everything else, COVID was just a a super flu, if you want to get technical. Now, yes, there have been uh, uh, points in history where the flu was a bad thing. uh, I believe it was in Spain, and, you know, there was all these, the Spanish flu, all these things that were actually killed a bunch of people, but this was also back before we had the medical technology that we have now, that we have the lifestyle that, you know, we have now. Things are way different than what they were back then. Does it suck to get the flu? Absolutely. Did it suck to have COVID? Yes. But it was nothing like Ebola. I remember when Ebola hit. Or hit, I say hit, when there was that possible spread, the whole Ebola thing, and it started big time out in Dallas, I remember. They didn't do anything like they're doing now, or like they did with COVID. And again, that was just a a dry run to see how society would react. What do you think is going to happen when the powers that be decide that climate change is the next COVID. What are we going to do then? Researchers at the University of Leeds in England argued that rationing policies similar to those imposed during World War I and World War II, quote, could help states reduce emissions rapidly and fairly, end quote. Rapidly and fairly. What would that do to a nation? Like, I don't know what it's like to live in the UK. But I know what it's like to be in America. In America, we are very much a, well, for lack of a better way of putting it, we're, we're a very selfish nation. We're, we're, we're greedy. It's, it's, we're very used to, if we want something, it's there. And maybe greedy and selfish isn't quite the right word. We're spoiled for, for sure. If we want something, we get it. You want to go down the road to McDonald's to get a, you know something to eat, you go as long as you got the money. And they've actually, thanks to the government subsidizing a lot of things, you've been able to have even more opportunities to be able to get such things. What do you think would happen to the world even America, for that matter, let's just isolate it here locally. What would happen to America if something like that was implemented? 
A lot of the reasons why I believe why a lot of people got through and were able to a degree handle the rationings of World War One and World War Two was kind of a twofold reason. And this is one reason why I think this would fail as a whole, at least this paper. But the first reason was, is during World War II, especially, you were just coming off of the Great Depression. People were used to tightening their belts. They were used to getting something making sure that whatever it was had had absolute value you didn't squander you didn't you didn't frivolously buy things or get things that you didn't need if you bought something you be- by god made sure you could fix it or have it easily repaired or that at least was worth having was going to last its time you you took care of things and you worked to make sure that you had what you needed and that was it. There was no squandering. There was very little luxury. The second reason I think that it would that it would actually cause this fail, one little variable that this uh, paper from England did not kind of count on, is it, especially during World War II and World War One for that matter, but World War II especially, there was unification. The country. America gave up because it was the right thing to do. The, I will say majority, there probably were some that didn't, but there was a good majority of the country that said, no, no, we need to help our boys over there. We need to do our part to help. Does it suck? Yes, but we need to do our part. And that's what happened. They willingly gave in to doing these, these, these rationings. One, because they were used to it from the Great Depression. And two, because they had a common cause. They felt that they were doing their part to help in this travesty. Do you really think that over half of the... I say half. We'll just say majority. Do you believe that a majority of the country buys into climate change as it is presented to us as this impending epi- uh, 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 apocalyptic situation that could happen at any moment and wipe humanity off the planet in this, that, and the third. And even if you do believe such a thing, do you believe that you're being rationed on certain levels of food certain fuel, other goods, things like that, do you think that's going to help mitigate climate change? I don't. I don't at all. You're not going to fix anything by that. And I don't believe that anybody, that there's a majority of enough people who believe that climate change is as it is presented by these quote-unquote experts. I don't. Do I believe that there is climate change? Mm, Yeah. I also believe that there's a lot of reasons for it. Going back to when I was a kid, which really wasn't that long ago, in science class, I was taught, you know, the world is is not spinning as fast as it used to. It is slowing down. Little bit by little bit, the speed which the Earth uh, spins is slowing down. 
its spin around the or uh, around the sun is slowing down. We are also getting further from the sun. These are all things I was taught in science as a child. So just those three little factors can change the environment. Does humanity play a part in it? Absolutely, we do. Okay? We do. But we could end everything right now. Life and and society as we know it right this moment. We could drop everything. Okay? Eat grass, maybe a couple bugs here and there. Minimize ourselves to bumps on a log. Sitting in a single solitary place, eating, again, a little bit of handful of grass and a couple of bugs once a day. All of these, and the earth will still continue to change. See, I never understood why people assumed that, you know, humanity is going to evolve, humanity is going to change. What made you think that everything else around you would not? You think the earth doesn't change? You think the earth doesn't adapt? Now, we are called to be good stewards of what we're given. We should want to take care of the planet that we're given. We should want to take care of of, of what we're given and handle it responsibly. And a good majority of, of not just Americans, but the world and people do. But to be punished and to try and have these kind of policies put into place or even suggested to be put into place because of a few short, uh, uh, not even short ones, just a few people who don't care, is asinine. This paper even went so far as to claim that uh, such radical policies would be more effective than the slow and inequitable results from imposed tax increases. Quote, we argue that rationing could help states reduce emissions rapidly and fairly. Our arguments to this paper draw on the economic analysis and historical research into rationing in the UK during and after the two world wars, highlighting success stories and correcting misconceptions, end quote. What misconceptions? Hmm? Again, the world, the especially from the Allies, Now, I don't know from the other side, but I do know that the people on the Allies' side, again, they contributed, they rationed, they went along with this because they saw and recognized the bigger threat, and it was, it was a, a joint effort, hence the term the Allies. They, they banded together to ration themselves. Why? Because it would help the cause. There are not enough people, I believe, to buy into this. That climate change is such a, a, an impending doom. That rationing of all of this stuff would change anything. The academics argue that rationing is worthy of, quote, serious consideration, end quote. And noted that the rejection of markets and commitment to fair shares is a key part of the value of rationing. And precisely what made rationing attractive to the public in the 1940s. It wasn't anything about being fair that made quote unquote rationing attractive. Rationing is not attractive 
We're talking about a nation, and this is again coming from England, but and they're not as you know necessarily as broke as we are. You know, they're they're one might consider prosperous, just like America is. But the rationing is attractive to the public. They did it because it was a, there was a bigger cause. There was a bigger goal in mind. And not for nothing, but who decides this rationing? Who decides who gets how much and what? The government? Oh, that'll be fantastic. Tell me that won't end well. I mean, do <laughs> you think that the government, the people who are setting the rationings, are going to be following those same rationing rules? Do you think they're going to limit themselves? I, I feel like there was a situation, and I might could be making this up, but uh, I feel there was a situation not, not too terribly, I say terribly long ago, a couple hundred years ago, uh, somewhere in around France, I think there was a situation where uh, people were starving, and there was uh, one of these uh, higher up, very similar to somebody who would be making this rationing decision, who who made something to the comment, something to the effect of let them eat cake. I, I, it's, it's, it's nagging at me. I feel like I could have. I could be making this up. I don't know. It might have been a movie. Oh, I don't know. That that I just know that that probably didn't turn out very well. It, the researchers admit that rationing is quote unquote unattractive, which is weird because just a little bit ago they tried to call it attractive to the public in the forties. Again, it wasn't attractive. Nobody wants to not have enough food to eat. But anyway. The researchers admit that rationing is unattractive and even unpalatable to most, but that it is, quote, important to highlight the fact that this was not the case for many of those who experienced rationing, end quote. Again, Part of it was uh, you were already used to it. Stock market crashed. People were out of work. You had to wait in long lines for bread, and, and if you got that, if you didn't own a farm or weren't self-sufficient in any way, you, you were very severely lacking. So you were kind of used to it when the government goes, no, don't worry, we're going to ration for this cause. You can still get something. You just don't get to use as much of it. And one could argue whether or not that was the right thing to do in that aspect, but at least, you know, the belief was it was going to help the Allies. It was going to help in this war. Quote, here it is. Important to emphasize the difference between rationing itself and the scarcity that rationing was a response to. Of course, people did welcome the end of rationing, but they were really celebrating the end of scarcity. 
celebrating the fact that rationing was no longer necessary. But as long as there was scarcity, rationing was accepted, even welcomed or demanded. End quote. You know the people who were demanding rationing and believed it to be acceptable based off scarcity were people who wanted to have more than they needed to have. You know, kind of like the people who don't want to work but want to have a paycheck. The people who don't put an effort into anything but want to have everything given to them. The people who want to redistribute wealth. Papers suggest implementing, quote, allowance-based schemes, such as limiting the number of long-haul flights an individual can make per year or the amount of fuel an individual can purchase per month. Academics addressed modernizing allowance-based policies by implementing carbon cards, similar to bank cards, which could be used to, quote, track your carbon allowance rather than ration cards. Does this sound like fun to anyone? I mean, not for nothing. They're doing similar stuff to this in China. I'm constantly seeing this on, on Twitter and other places where there's there's video of people. Neighborhoods are locked down. And again, this is going back to COVID because they're still very much locked down that way. But there, there are people in China who are not allowed to leave their homes even their neighborhoods, to go get food or to go to the doctor or anything that they actually need to do unless they are fully documented and they fully have everything checked off as far as COVID goes. What do you think would happen if an individual who's not deemed worthy to suddenly has a very high carbon card or amount on the carbon card or whatever? How do you offset that? Other goods that governments could ration include fuel, household energy. Why do you think they want to kind of get rid of gas so bad out of the stoves? Because hmm? I don't know about y'all, but it's a lot cheaper to heat your house and easier to heat your house if you you know had to. You section off parts of the room of the house. That's what I used to do. Turn the oven on, let it go. It's cheaper than gas. Or I mean, than uh. Electric, that's for daggone sure. At least it was. But anyway, household, energy, food, clothing, according to the researchers. The paper also mentioned banning, quote, carbon-intensive farming methods and factory-farmed livestock, end quote. Do you see the trail? Once this ball starts rolling down a hill, they're not going to stop. It's not going to slow down. You have to be able to offset these things because even though they mentioned up before talking about scarcity and everything else, do you really think that they're going to continue to have farming and livestock at the levels that they're currently doing now? Absolutely not. How else are they going to continue to make sure that there is scarcity? I mean, you can only blow up so many factories and set so many things on fire and before it becomes obvious to even the most blind and ignorant people. But don't worry, there's an answer. There's an answer to this. You know, they've, we're talking about getting rid of the livestock. Well, how are we supposed to have our meat, Dylan? I, I don't know. Like, how's things going to be normal? You know, there's uh, Bill Gates. 
started uh, putting out the fake meat. It's uh, lab-grown meat becoming all the rage. Well, not really. <laughs> it's not. Uh, but uh, technocrats appear keen to uh, preclude the masses from eating real meat in hopes of combating the specter of climate change, making more money. What they're not telling you, or what's not being noted in here, is that uh, this this meat is made of uh, immortalized cancer cells. You know, Bill Gates loves the idea of curbing the uh, the population of the planet. I mean, what better way to get that done, right? No regular meat and what meat you can get probably give you cancer. Just saying. Defenders Live. This is Defenders Live. Follow us on social medias at DOA Show. Pretty much everywhere you can find that. Uh, you can follow me at Dylan Lyles on Twitter. Um, I'm trying to think where else you can find this uh, podcast. Pretty much everywhere, I think. I know that uh, for sure it's on Spotify and iHeartRadio, uh, Anchor. Check them out. Leave a review if you possibly can. Share it. Tell your friends. Blah, blah, blah. All that good jazz. Um, a lot of good things are coming down the way. Uh, interviews I'm getting set up with. I think y'all are going to like. Um, possibly maybe doing a new second show coming soon. Uh, maybe another day added. So those of you that are fans of the show, you may get to get more out of it. Uh, slowly rebuilding again. That's that's what that's what I'm doing now. Having to restructure everything, being solo now, and so. But yeah, a lot of good things coming. Check it out. Uh, DOA show at Twitter and Dylan Lyles also at Twitter. Facebook is at DOA show. Email if you got any questions, concerns, you just want to talk junk. Uh, DOA show at gmail.com. So. I realized sitting here during the break that um, I sounded so much like Alex Jones <laughs> talking about that stuff. It it makes you feel it. But, I mean, at what point do conspiracies no longer become, no, are no longer conspiracies? When What do you do when conspiracies become truth? I don't know. I I'm just the guy talking. The Biden administration's Department of Education has announced, however, that the a proposal on Tuesday to repeal a Trump era policy that protects religious students and groups by withholding federal funds from universities that restrict the groups' rights uh, for speech and activities. 
according to the Daily Caller. According to the DOE, 2020 policy creates a, quote, an unduly burdensome role, end quote, for the department fails to provide, quote, meaningful increased protection for students. So they're going to get rid of, they're going to stop funding for religious groups in colleges from being sued, from being attacked. Because, I mean, why not, you know? It's these horrible Christian kids and, and these religious kids. They're, they're, they're the ones that are causing the problems. Not the, the groups that are self-segregating themselves and putting themselves into a space and all this other stuff. No, no, no. It's, it's these Christians. The policy, part of a 2019 executive order signed by former President Donald Trump, was enacted to ensure universities could, sense, could not censor, excuse me, or restrict the activities of religious student organizations on campus. Which, I'm sorry, is pretty stupid in my book. The fact that it had to be an executive order put into place to ensure that universities don't censor or restrict activities for religious students. The last I checked, the university was supposed to be... For the thinkers, it was the one place in education where ideas met. Discussions were had. That was the part of life for a young adult. If you went to college, was to be able to go to college and learn not just a a semi-advanced, more detailed version of uh, for something in the real world for a job, but it was also the the floor for ideas. You got to discover who you were as an adult or who you were going to be as an adult. You know, the things that you were taught, you know, societally, religiously, all of these things that that, that you thought up until that point was grounded and you thought you believed it too. Now you had the opportunity to weigh evidence, hear perspectives from other people and to go, well, it, it is... This is certainly as narrow as I thought it was. Is it as broad as I thought it was? And it was a chance for self-reflection, a chance to be able to grow as an adult. If for no other reason to walk away with with understanding of, of someone else's experience. It allowed, this executive order allowed the DOE to withhold Grant funds from public universities found to have violated students' First Amendment rights. The policy also required universities to provide religious student groups the same rights on other cam- as other campus organizations, such as access to campus facilities. But no more. Former Education Secretary Betsy DeVos told the Washington Post that the policy was enacted to protect students, teachers, and faith Based institutions, quote, students should not be forced to choose between their faith and their education. And an institution controlled by a religious organization should not have to sacrifice its religious beliefs to participate in department grants and programs, end quote. I would argue that the government shouldn't be funding this one way or the other, but I digress. That's a 
discussion, I guess, for another time. In September of 2021, the DOE began reviewing regulations to determine which policies, quote, impose additional requirements on its higher education institutional grant recipients, end quote. The Biden's DOE recently concluded that the 2020 policy is, quote, not necessary in order to protect the First Amendment right to free speech and free exercise of religion giving, given existing legal protection. It has caused confusion about schools' non-discrimination requirements, and it prescribed a novel and unduly burdensome role in a department in investigating allegations regarding public institutions' treatment of religious student organizations. We have not seen evidence that the regulation has provided meaningful increased protection for religious student organizations beyond the robust First Amendment protections that already exist. Much less that it has been necessary to ensure that they are able to organize and operate on campus. The DOE did note that it is not, doesn't believe, quote, a threat of remedial action with respect to the department's grant helps achieve this goal, end quote. The department also stated that it shares the view that public institutions should not treat religious student organizations less favorably than other student organizations, but... You know what they've always said, I don't think I hear it enough lately, is that, you know, when somebody says something, but, you know, they follow it up right after with, but, it means everything they said before they don't believe, and it was a load of crap. But, argued that if a public university discriminates against religious student groups, the matter should be resolved in the court system. Because that's worked out really well, hadn't it? I mean, I'm distinctly being reminded of a baker, and I believe it's Colorado, I think it is. Didn't want to bake a cake for gay couple for a wedding. Still, after, what is this now, 12, 20 years, something like that? Like, it's been forever and a day. Working out really good for that guy, isn't it? Letting the courts decide on a religious standpoint. And that's that's in the public sector. That's that's after college. Look at what colleges are doing now. Look at how they're they're treating anyone that doesn't go along lockstep with with the, the trends of the day with everyone else. You're canceled, you're you're mocked, you're assaulted. And for what? I The DOE's proposal to rescind this policy will be open to public comment for 30 days beginning February 22nd. So three days ago. Three days ago, this went public. Has anybody heard anything about this? Has anybody talked about this? I mean, far be it for me to think that the government needs to be uh, 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 funneling money into a university you know, on any level for any reason. 
all universities, as far as I'm concerned, are supposed to be uh, a standalone. I mean, with the amount of money that they 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 charge people to get a quote unquote education. I don't see why they need to be getting government grants of any level for any reason, but I digress. You're talking about rescinding a a policy, uh, an executive order that protects religious students. Now, just so we're clear, we all know what that religious thing means, just, just as a matter of point of clarification. They're not talking about Muslims. They're not talking about Buddhists. They're not talking about uh, even you know your basic witches and Wiccan and things like that. They're not talking about that. They're talking about Christians. That, that, that whole policy was strictly to protect Christians, having their ability to be able to speak, say, against, I don't know, abortion. That's gone now. And you can sit here and say, well, you know, they're saying it, there's no evidence that it, if it's there, it's not there, it's going to keep anything. I, mm, with the way that the colleges are now, rolling this back, removing this, is going to cause so much, and nobody's going to do anything about it. I mean, I would argue that there's no reason for a majority of people to be going to colleges nowadays anyway. Because there's, I'm very much of the the Mike Rowe situation where you're a young person. If you're getting ready to graduate high school and you're trying to figure out what your future holds, what you want to do for a living. I would argue college is not the way to go unless you're going for something like doctor or lawyer rocket scientist, whatever, you know, something very big, for a lack of a better way of putting it. Something that you can't necessarily have in the in the public sector. You're going for something that, that, that is that big of an impact on humanity? Sure. Go to a college. Find the best college you can get into and study to become that, have that, 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 that job, that profession. But if you have no idea what you want to do, if you don't even want to do something, there are a variety, a myriad of ways to be able to have a very good living in jobs that, that are dying for people to to be hired, be skilled, be proficient at. There's apprenticeship programs. There's trade schools. You know, I, I hate I hate having to refer to my ex-wife in any way. But I, like, I've always believed that trade schools were a, a viable thing out the gate, but uh, it wasn't until being married to her that I it really set in. I got to see it firsthand that um, there there are schools of for her. She went to be a um, dental assistant. 
she went through a trade school, was in the class for a third of the time that it would have been in college. And even less, and even it was a, the, the difference between the amount of money it was paid was even more. It was insane. Like she did, paid barely anything compared to what a college degree was. And then you look at the college side of it. Sure, you can go to a college and get a paper to get into, say, dental assisting. But then you have all the prerequisites. Then you have to go and be accepted into the program because that's another little thing that a lot of people don't grasp is they think, oh, well, this is a lower-end thing. It shouldn't be hard to get. I know I, I went years and years ago. I attempted to try and get into uh, radiology as a rad tech, and I was you know, 17, 18, something like that, and I looked into it, and I started trying to do it, and I started into the prerequisites, and I was going through everything, and then I realized and found out that the program, it wasn't just a, well, when it's your turn, when it opens up and you're graduate, you just move on to the next thing like everything else had been. You had to be accepted. There was still a chance that you could knock out all your prerequisites, you could do everything right, and the program still might not accept you. And that was all based on how many, you know, techs they already had in, in, the, in the system, how many were they going to be needing, et cetera, et cetera. And so I was like, wait a second, I, I, I may not even get accepted based off of, after all the work I've done. Okay. And that was when all of it changed for me. I'm 41 years old right now. I have worked and been all over the world. And the thing that has been growing more and more and more is there are more people who are concerned about getting a little piece of paper to put into an, a, a frame to hang on a wall than there are to actually get down into the dirt, to actually do the work. Don't get me wrong. To do a manual labor type job like that, to be, say, a plumber, for me personally, sucks. I hate being under houses. I'm not a fan of nope noodles. I don't want anything to do with them. But I guarantee you right now, plumbers make a whole lot more money than somebody with a bachelor's in art. Somebody with a, 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 a bachelor in science. I guarantee it. And I guarantee these guys find jobs way easier and uh, much quicker than people with a degree. Now, again, I'm not saying that having a degree, and especially in certain uh, professions, is a bad thing. But you don't need a degree. Like, if you're going for a degree, do something specific. I've never understood why people come out with, oh, I have a bachelor's in science. Well, which science? Which, which specific? I don't know science. Okay. I have a bachelor's in art. Okay. Well, what does that translate into? Right now, a bachelor's or even a master's in some cases, I've seen it. I've seen it. You have a master's, a bachelor's in art, in science, something vague, something broad, just something that the school has concocted so you can turn around and funnel them money so they can turn around and get grow richer and richer while you live and pay off a debt. Those jobs land you McDonald's. Those jobs land you the jobs that, at least when I was a kid, in my perception of the world was, is the jobs that you started at in high school. 
to pay for insurance and spending money on the weekends with your buddies. And then as you got done with high school and you have had work experience and you moved up and went and became, you know, bosses and supervisors and everything else. These guys, these kids, these poor kids go into these schools to get these pieces of paper that are worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. They pay hundreds, think about that, hundreds of thousands of dollars for a piece of paper. And it benefits them what? What does it get them? What is it? How does it help? When they turn around and they leave school, they graduate and they throw their hats and hooray, all the work has been done. Hurrah for me. I'm there. And then all of a sudden they have, they have no work. They have no prospects. The real world still functions, oddly enough, and thankfully, to a degree, on the fact that you're not just going to walk into a job just because you have a piece of paper. They want job experience. They want to know that you, as a human being, have been at least tested a little bit. And I could just take anybody off the street. You want to get into uh, 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 the data world. As far as, you know, telecommunications or, 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 or you know, the, the fiber and things like ECPI. I'm not getting paid anything by them. I'm just, I'm just throwing it up there because, you know, computers listen. And oddly enough, as I'm talking, there is an ad for ECPI. There's another, like, that's a trade school. You could go and learn to do the things that places like Microsoft and IBM and all kinds of places really want. You could start working on servers and doing things like that. Much easier and much quicker than you could if you went to a college a university and paid hundreds of thousand dollars for a degree in telecommunications. You know, years ago, I, 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 I mean, years and years ago, before the advent of the internet, I'd always wanted to be a disc jockey. I've always wanted to sit behind a mic just like I'm doing right now. I've always wanted to do this. And at the time, I found out that in order to be able to do something like this, you have to have a degree in telecommunications. You have to go to a, at least a four-year university. You have to get a bachelor's. You have to get a, a bachelor's or associate's, whichever. I don't remember. Whatever one the four-year is. You have to get a four-year degree in telecommunications. And then you have to get hired on to a radio station. And then you have to hope that at some point your personality also flies to be able to fix that, to, to be able to fit into a slot where you can get a disc jockey job or, or, or something to that effect. You can have your own show, whatever. And then I found out that once you did get in as a disc jockey, you were paid, you were lucky to get just above minimum wage. Thank you to the internet technology and everything else the way it is. I didn't have to do any of that. And I'm doing something I wanted to do since I was 17 years old. I don't have to pay for a degree. It, stay away from the colleges. And I know it went off on a tangent there for a minute, but I just felt like I needed to get that off my chest. Because to continue on with 
what is arguably an attack on the, the Christian world. Catholic University in Virginia recently announced that it is considering cutting 10 major programs, including religious studies and, theolo- and theology, citing, quote, a lack of potential growth. Marymount University, a liberal arts college, plans to eliminate bachelor's degree programs in theology, religious studies, philosophy, mathematics, arts, history, sociology, English economics, and secondary education. It also plans to axe master's programs in English and humanities. Marymount University President Irma Bursa, or Bursera, I apologize, supports the controversial cuts, which has sparked backlash from the school's students and alumni. The plan is also supported by the Faculty Advisor Committee and the Academic Policy, Budget, and Planning Committee, according to a university spokesperson. Quote, over the long term, it would be irresponsible to sustain majors and programs which consistently low enrollment, low graduation rates, and lack of potential for Recommendations and decisions on programs marked for elimination are based on clear evidence of student choices and behavior over time. Student Government President Ashley Treo Magia pushed back in an upcoming challenges, calling them, quote, detrimental to the diversity of our student body. Quote, we fear that removing programs will alter the foundation on identity of Marymount University and what it was built on. According to the updated plan reviewed, university officials believe the cuts will set up the school for long-term success. Quote, universities will thrive and prosper in the future are those that innovate and focus on what distinguishes them from their competition. See, that's a problem. This is a college. This is supposed to be about higher education. I agree that within the realm that they're a business. But what's supposed to separate you from your competition should not be the programs that you offer. Cutting programs doesn't separate you from the competition. I mean, well, no, I, I would, uh, excuse me on that. Actually, I let me back that up a little bit. It does separate you. And as far as I'm concerned, kind of eliminates your demographic. When you start having options or stop having options that people have, that people want to choose, let's say there's somebody who wants to go in for, you know, one of these theology classes, degrees in in theology or uh, history, bachelors in religious studies. Guess where they're not going? Guess whose money you're not getting, Marymount? Quote, digital disruption, economic conditions, and the explosion of low-cost online course providers have put pressure on universities to reinvent their institutions in order to compete. Again, you are removing options. There are other cop, uh, options and even places that do offer those things. And probably from a digital way and, and much cheaper and everything else. So what is that going to do for you, Mary Mott? Huh? <sighs> Students have more choices than ever. 
for where to earn a college degree, and MU must respond wisely to the demand. Doesn't sound wise to me. When a company, when a business, when a university, when anything, when you are an organization that picks a path and uh, uh, like this, where you have these things to offer and suddenly you stop offering them, you're not suddenly going to get an influx of people chasing after you and your company or your university or what have you. They're going to go find somebody who does offer these things. Spokesperson for the university said that the funds from eliminated initiatives will be used for more popular majors and programs. However, the spokesperson noted that the cuts, quote, were not financially driven and will provide the university the opportunity to redeploy resources to better serve students in areas of growth. And maybe you will. Maybe you're getting a boatload of money and people trying to push for certain degree and now you can take those cut the money from those cut classes and everything else and make their experience a little bit better maybe but I don't think it's going to benefit you and set you apart as much as you think or at least in the way that you think again go trade school go trade route hell don't even worry about trade school just jump into a job and start at the glo- at the ground level it, you don't, it's not demeaning. Don't let anybody tell you that it is. <sighs> Follow us on all the social medias at D-O-A-E show. Make sure you tell your friends about the show. Spread it around on all the social media. Share it you can, where you can. We'll see y'all next time. Bye, y'all.